Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from an adventure playground here in 2022, 22 years into the new millennium. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybot. I, I can't do an accent. I'm Phyllis Gove. And with us again is uh, is Anglophile. Mm-hmm. Jeff Greenstein, I forgot. Is it Greenstein or Greenstein? I it's ask you every time. It's, Greenstein. It's the same as you, Kenny. I know, it's Nybart. Greenstein. You know, you, I know. And the thing is, I I don't even know why. I swear on my fucking life, Jeff. I'm sitting there last night for some reason, because we've basically stopped. We basically stopped saying where people are from, what they're known from, particularly like yeah. second, third, fourth time guests. Sure. And I'm sitting there. I just entered my head. I'm like, all right, I know I ask him every time Greenstein, Greenstein, and I know it's the same as me. And I'm just going to say Greenstein because it sounds okay. better. And I'm going to yeah. say it. And I don't know why I fucking did it. It's like it, <laughs> it's like it's this little devil on my shoulder. It says, say Greenstein, say Greenstein. <laughs> um, so uh, Greenstein. Sorry. Jeff. Yes. I'm, a de- I'm a dummy and a moron, but at least. Fine. I've watched six episodes. You have watched. You've watched of more of them than I have. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, um, it, it needs to be said just right off the gate, right out of the gate, um, that I think we've been doing this five years, Kenny, and mm-hmm. we've had guests who have passions, right? Guests that really want to cover a movie. No one comes close to Jeff Greenstein's passion to cover Forty Two Up. Uh, I mean, truly, and it's one of those things where, like, uh, 
it feels like three, four times a year, I'd get a text message from Jeff that would just say like, still got to cover 42 up. <laughs> still yeah, and, then, <laughs> and then eventually it became Michael Apted not getting any debtor. Yeah, yeah. There, there was definitely then when he passed away last yes. uh, 2019, he passed away. Um, then I got I think I think you waited a little bit. You let you let the body get cold first. And then you were like, 42 up. What, what, what are we doing? Well, yeah, we, uh, we, yeah, you I said mean, we did our Apted already. One Apted, yeah, that's it. Yeah, we covered World is Not Enough, yeah. which is obviously yeah. Apted's, you know, uh, it is what it is. But I, you know, this is so my knowledge of this series, of the 7-Up series, I think, honestly, I probably learned about it around Boyhood, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Because wow. I feel like Boyhood, obviously, you know, I don't want to say steals, but uses the idea of checking in with someone uh, a lifetime over over many years. I feel like uh, I was the one who was pushing it on you. I I have been fascinated sure. with the Up series. You've loved this series too, yeah, yeah. But fascinated since '99, and because fascinated since Ebert's review mm-hmm. of what well, I think Forty Two Up, he called one of the best ten movies ever made. He called, yeah, he said it was chosen as the ten greatest films of all time. Uh, yeah. It was in 91, the then latest installment of 28 Up was chosen by Ebert as one of the greatest films. And, of I, time. and I think he, he, lo- made, he gave this four stars as well. He loved this film. He's loved everyone. And the way they talked about it uh, was so effusive and so evocative. And then furthermore, the, the premise is like, if, if, yeah. if, if you care about the world, like if you care, like, if, like, if a lifespan? Any, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. to me, yeah. it, it's, 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 Boyhood is one of my favorite movies ever made. The main reason Boyhood is one of my favorite movies ever made is because it actually doesn't matter what happens in that film. Um, the sheer the 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 experiment being seen out yeah. see, being seen out through the end was so thrilling and such a magic trick. It's so brilliant that any you know any adherence to any kind of understanding of narrative structures is meaningless. Sure. They did this with the up series, like these stories, the, 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 the mundanity of it all is, is what's yeah. so thrilling. It's, I, it's also one of the reasons why I think the before series is as beloved as it is as well, you know, which is the check in and the idea of, I mean, you, you know, you're, you're obviously tapping into this with what you were just saying, Kenny, but there's something about the idea of trying to wrap your arms around a lifetime, about the idea of, of just the human existence like that that is an, almost an impossible task and yet somehow this is i'm fucking it. crazy about the before series i know you're crazy 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 about the before series sure. the difference between a narrative series yeah and this sure. is totally different. i couldn't conceive of doing something like the like the before series for instance and not having my characters do something exceptional Right. Yes. Ethan exactly. Hawke. Yes. Ethan Hawke becomes between before sunrise and before sunset, a best-selling author. He does. And that's a big part of this movie. He does something exceptional. He becomes a famous person. You know, it's a, it's totally different realm, but I've worked with a lot of people who worked on one tree Hill and one tree Hill did a four season jump at some point. Right. So they just jumped over college and, 
you know, all my friends who are on that show credited with like his second life for the show. But they also kind of, you know, internally make fun of the fact that like they came back and they were all famous. Every one, every one of these random characters from North Carolina wound up becoming like, you know, a famous pop star, a famous author, a famous athlete. And there is and then this, went like, back to North Carolina. Yeah, I don't really remember. And then <laughs> there, and there is this this thing and we see it all the time. You see it yeah. all the time when you do things with where, where you have a giant jump where these characters have to do something exceptional or else their lives or else their lives were meaningless. And the thing about the up series is Abdet does not have a choice. No, he doesn't right. have a choice. And it's so incredible seeing where all these people landed. Real people living real lives. I'm I I, I do actually agree with you, but I do think it's like the, the greatest thing ever made. Jeff, I, I've been steamrolling. Phil. Yes, please. Sorry. Jeff. Yes, yes, yes. I, 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 so here's my one question for you, Jeff, before you, you know, we, we talk sort of, you know, more more uh, uh, high altitude. Did you see these at the time? Do you remember watching these as they aired to some degree? Obviously not back. Yeah, to, well, know, the way but... that I first encountered these, and I have yeah. a particular relationship to this, not just as a work of art, which I'll talk about in a minute. The first one I saw was 21 Up, okay. which aired on PBS. I think it was uh-huh. KCET, not long after I moved to Los Angeles. I'm sorry, 28 Up, I apologize. The 28 Up came out in... 28 up came out in November of 84. November of 84. I moved to Los Angeles that month. That makes sense. (laughs) And I saw it on this little black and white TV, which I have over here. And I watched it on KCET. And when I talk about my personal relationship to these films, at the time, I had just turned 21. So these movies are about a group of people who are exactly seven years older than I. So my relationship to this is not just as as Kenny was saying as a work of art that depicts the ordinary and beautiful and tragic and ennobling and graceful lives of a group of people for me it is always a glimpse into the future every time i see one of these films it says this is about what you're going to be dealing with in 7 years yeah and so it is really quite a thing to be 21 and to be told here's what 28 looks like here's what 35 looks like here's what 63 looks like and i have you say that as a 42 year old uh watching 42 up was a somewhat triggering experience yeah i was gonna say what did you feel a personal connection to it watching uh crises of 42 sure i mean it was I mean, listen, I don't think that 42 today is the same as 42 in 99. It is not. So I don't feel the same level of. uh, So you are you are. I'm not just saying this. You are you are closer to 21 up. Like the, the, I appreciate you saying the stuff. The, the stuff in twenty. I don't know if that up, might be this, arrested development on my part, but well, I am serious. <laughs> just just people in general, because the only thing, and not to cut you off, the only yeah. thing that like does feel dated is not the right word, but just generationally different. Yeah. Is most of these people had families by twenty eight. It was this was the thing that hit me maybe the most, where I was like, bunch of these people are married at nineteen. A few of them are like married yes. at nineteen. Yeah, they're having kids quite young um, to some degree uh, and lots of kids. There's a lot of children in this. In this yes. like, I do feel like uh, some more than others, but still. Um, so I definitely felt perhaps there were two things that I felt the most. The first was 
um, time is a motherfucker <laughs> that stops mm. for no one. And you can see it in the physical changes of these people where you're just like, that kid was so cute. Oh God. <laughs> like It's just <laughs> like time can be brutal. Um, but then also just the idea of um, societal projection of what you're supposed to to be doing with your life right you really feel that and how that's changed right like i really feel as though as you just said kenny not even my own personal thing but just like what the expectations of what you should have quote-unquote achieved or you know when you should be married when you should have kids all that stuff has shifted and changed and i do think to some degree that's all positive but watching this through the prism of like what 42 meant in 1998 1999 was certainly a uh it was a little scary <laughs> yeah when i back went back to my uh, 20th high school reunion sure there were contemporaries of mine that were grandparents <laughs> yeah sure. how about that yeah, <laughs> yeah. sure that, yeah. That, sounds, I mean, that sounds about right yeah, yeah. i mean well, 20 was, 20th high school 38 year olds yeah, 20th high school reunion yeah 38 uh, young 38 young yeah <laughs> but they had gotten married at 18 and their yeah. kids had gotten married at like 18 or 19. So and so, forgive me, Jeff. Where are you from yes. originally? Just I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm yeah. from Sandy Springs, which is a northwestern suburb of Atlanta. And uh, the reason yeah, I asked I the question is that I do think part of this is geographical too, right? Like I find myself when I go home to Toronto, even friends, contemporaries of mine that I went to high school with, I mean, most of them are married. Most of them have kids. And I don't necessarily feel as though certainly in California or perhaps even in New York as well, like your, your, your big kind of metropolitan kind of what have you, I don't feel like there's the same, it's not to say that Toronto isn't, but like, I just do feel like there's certain areas of this country, obviously, where, uh, we haven't moved as we haven't been as progressive as we'd like to be in terms of uh, what you should or should. Yeah, obviously, you know, Georgia is a different snapshot, but it's also what you were saying a minute ago. The other thing that makes this film such an important achievement, in addition to Kenny, as you were saying, the longitudinal nature of it yeah. is that this is about the back half of the 20th century. You know, this is about the baby boom generation, how they came of age, how their hopes and dreams were either realized or broken. And what's so beautiful about it. I mean, Kenny, you really singled it out. Nobody got famous. Nobody got famous. No one really, in a lot of sense, some people came and ended up behind the curve. Some up ended up a little ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. Some people surprised themselves. Some people maybe because they were in the documentary, felt an additional push to be special. But sure. by and large, these are people living fairly ordinary lives. And it's something that Apted talks about a lot in interviews about this. It's one of the things he treasures about the film is that it is a snapshot of the lives of ordinary people in the last half of the 20th well, that's century. The, what makes them famous is that they're in this thing. I mean, that's yeah, ultimately I, the only thing that gives them any sense of fame. Sorry. Well, I that's I mean, I mean, that's I I. I've read a lot about these over the years. I read a lot about these going into this. That seems to be something that cultural critics are obsessed with. I'm not obsessed with that. Like, that's the part that bores me. Sure. Um, that's that's the part that, like, feels a little too uh, self-aware and great. I get that, like, you know, that is necessarily a part of their identity at this point, but and almost a necessary evil in the age of reality television. But um, what what I also think is interesting is there was a mission statement and Jeff, you either, I think you alluded to it before we got on, um, on Mike, which is, it was essentially uh, an, an attempt to understand the way children from different classes 
grow yes. up in England, right? The people from the higher classes are so unbelievably uninteresting to me. And the reason they're uninteresting to me is not because I find people from upper classes uninteresting in general. I find them incredibly interesting. I love the crown. I think this Downton Abbey, I think this stuff is good shit. I, all I mean is those stories are told all the fucking time. All the yep. time. So another story about a kid who went to a private school, became a barrister and this and that. Sure, whatever. But what's so so much more interesting are the people who find the dignity, who find dignity in their job as a taxi cab driver, the job as a bricklayer, the job as, you know, a, a, a forklift operator. And it's not viewed as it is in every fucking other aspect of media as some kind of failure, some kind right. of lesser life, some kind of stop on the way to actually fulfilling your dreams. It's it's the history. I mean, the, the history is written by the winners, but it's really like history is the story of of. Famous people, really famous white men usually, but history is the story of famous people. And these are people who in so many ways are passengers on the ride of on on the ride of history. And it's so wonderful and illuminating to see that story from start to finish. Yeah, it's it's really I mean, what I would sort of piggybacks on what you're saying, Kenny, to some degree, just in terms of the enormity of what this is attempting to do. There's a part of me that's like this somehow there's a palpable sense of how long and how short life is, if that makes sense. You know, like, yeah. obviously those are two very different I things. That. I hear that. And you're watching it and you're just like, it, it's one of the, one of the um, people that they talk to talks about how it, it's actually one of the people that doesn't want to be in this film um, who talks about near the end about how like every seven years, I've got to take this poison pill of, yes of acknowledging what I have or have not accomplished over the last seven years. Um, and I imagine that's not fun right now. I, I imagine now in doing some minimal research, I think they basically sit down with them for two different sessions of about six hours is I think ultimately what it is. So it's really about sort of like, it's, it's not that much time. It's really. a check-in. Yeah. 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 It's a check-in. Um, so it's, but, but I imagine putting your life under a microscope um, is probably a somewhat intimidating thing to do. But, and I think it kind of taps into what you're saying, Kenny, right? Which is the, what have I accomplished? Have I, have I done something that is worthy of, of being discussed? You know, and, and that has to be a pretty, um, you know, harrowing thing to do. Yeah. And I also think, again, you know, it's, it's easy to forget that the Up series came along at a time when documentary was not fashionable. Documentary and reality television and so forth. These things were not a ticket to fame and fortune. So the idea of participating in a documentary series, remember, again, there's no streaming in this universe. My first encounter with this was on public television. You were not going to become a celebrity by becoming part of the Up series. If you imagine launching the Up series, even in 2000, you know one of those people would have a TV show or a cookbook or a blog or a podcast. And none of these people do. Five minutes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the only one who seems to try have tried in a very small way to exploit his fame is Tony trying to become an actor Mm -hmm. Uh, and getting there occasionally. But in the smallest possible, in a really like grounded, like, dear working class kind of way. So it also captures a moment where not everything was mediated. You know, your life was not lived in public. The fact, what you're alluding to in terms of 
how these participants engage with the project is they are reluctantly dragged into the public eye every seven years to account for themselves. They don't have a social media profile that speaks for them. They speak for themselves. This would be very hard to do now. It yeah, just didn't. Very hard. It would be very hard to do. It. it this is, you know, the look. I. Uh, I don't know if you've had a high school reunion recently, Jeff. I don't know if you've had one, Phil. Ever been to one? Um, we had one over Zoom on uh, during the pandemic. I had my twenty year, and it was lovely. And I love the people I went to high school with. I knew what ninety fucking percent of them. Of course were up you do. To. Yeah, I like there was no it, there was no checking, and even like the, the social media blessing curse. The 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 only blessing of it is the fact that none of it was weird for me. There were a lot of people with whom I I never I don't think I have any contact with that I have fairly regular contact with because of social media because even because it's easy to just reach out to somebody I haven't reached out to. So on the days leading up to this reunion, I was on three, four or five different text chains with like 15 different people sure. talking about like what's this going to be? Yeah. And then you get in the room. So today there would be no let's check in on them seven years later. I mean, now with these these 63 year olds, there is, there's really no big social media presence there, but you, there is a new series. There is a new series directed by Julian Farina, who I know well, and uh, he's done. They're doing doing 70, whatever up. Is that what they're trying to do? Well, no, no, no. They, I'm talking, you're talking about about a brand new show. There's a new group. Sorry. That he started in 2000. Okay. So he has a 2000, he has a 2007, a 2014, and a 2021, I think. Okay. And um, I've never watched those, and I believe this has Aptet's blessing, and it's you know it's sure. it's it's the same thing. But oh no, I if if they don't do a 70 up, and if they don't do a 77 up, like you you have to do it. Until I think you the have last to. I mean, is around. Is I mean that's you have I, to. I feel like someone will take the you know the baton. I don't think Aptet. so. Really? I think so. No, you haven't okay. seen 63, right? I I haven't seen 56. I haven't seen 49, 56 or 63. Uh, is it a no spoiler way. to talk about what happens in 63? No. Well, I know. I know we've lost one. We lost one of them. Two one now. of them died. One of yeah. them died and one is gravely ill I in think 63. He's, I, no, no he, he was gravely have, ill. I think he's passed since. Yeah, he may have passed yes. by now. I feel like, and Apted alluded to this. It's so funny. He was always kind of playing both ends because he said, look, I would love to do yep. 84 up when I'm 99 years old, yep. you know? But he also said at one point, right around the time of 42, that if any of the participants ever passed away, he couldn't go forward with the series because it would be oh, wow. like losing a member of the family. Like the circle would be broken. Sorry, now, Mike. The family goes on too. I know. You don't shut down a family when you lose a family but- member. But this, one of the many sub-themes of this piece, as you've said, is mortality. And once mortality becomes real inside this group of 14 people, I kind of feel like the story's over. I don't need I don't to watch every single one all. of them die. I don't really? feel the way at all. I don't feel really? the way at all. Scrub- Kenny wants to see it. Uh, one person you. left standing. Know, let me tell you. Let, 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 let. <laughs> I actually do want to see that. You want to be there for 108, huh? <laughs> I want I want Squid Game. Yeah, I want Squid Game. <laughs> but, I, but no, no. What I, I, I'll, I'll do, I'll put it this way. Yeah. God knows what reason. My wife got a book for my son called The Dead Bird. The Dead Bird. Okay. You've heard this book, Jeff? No, no, no. no, all right. The Dead Bird, and it's written by. I mean, I should look this up. It's written by a real person, right? It's like it, it's a, it's um. Let me see. It's written by 
Margaret Wise Brown, who I think also oh, good night moon. Good night moon. Exactly. Oh, wow. Okay. Which I read every night. Sure. So with or without children. Um, but <laughs> so it's so it's it's written by, you know, a very famous children children's book author. And it is about children who find a dead bird in the park. Yeah. And it is written for little kids and it is not in a cloying way. It is not like this. It is not about how to process death or grief, but that's what it is about. It is not a manual. It is very matter of fact. They found the dead bird. They picked it up. They listened for a heartbeat. The heart could. And I start and I read it to Cole, my five-year-old, and he's not scared and he's not freaked out. And sometimes it leads to questions and sometimes it doesn't. And my point is, why is the dead bird a children's book? Well, because you can't avoid death. Right. Right. It is right. part. It is part of the story. And I do think and this is part of the reason why I don't want to hear about I don't want to hear too much about like the meta experience of living your life in the public eye, because I think what this series is doing is so much more important than what TV is doing to them. Right. Like yeah, their relationship with the camera. Yeah. Like, I know that's really important. In some stuff, some of my favorites, the Truman show, like is very much about what life is like, even if you don't know the, that the camera is on you um, and about your relationship to TV so, or network. It's not really about that for me. But in this particular thing, the document is so important. The, the, the cradle to grave of this that I do want to see every one of these people <laughs> die. Wow. Uh, and I, I not because I'm a sadist, but because I think yeah. that's that's where the story has to end. I mean, I'm, I'll be bit. curious well, to ahead. see. No, no, please, Jeff. I, I'm curious. To I was going to say one of the things again, I listened to Apted's commentary track on 42. And one of the things he said is that it was important to have the children in the piece to provide mm-hmm. context for the lives that the adults are living. But he doesn't ever interview the children one on one. He doesn't ask what's your mom like, what's your dad like, you know, yeah. How do you continue telling one of these characters' stories after they're dead? Do you talk to their children or do they simply disappear from the series? And are they know. forever suspended at the age they were when they died? But like, so. Well, I, that would, I mean, I, I, I didn't see 63, but they do it. Now, in, yeah, 63, in 63, the yeah. person who died is, is yeah. essentially a member of a trio. Right. These three yes. women, these three right. women always get interviewed together. Yeah. So you have those characters who can do it. And these characters, yes. these characters, these people have come together. I mean, there's this incredible thing at 42 with Bruce and uh, and Neil. Yes. Where you find out, you know, that that the it seems like in some ways this documentary saved Neil's life. Yes. Um, but uh, but. Yeah, I don't know how you tell the story. I don't know if you tell it through the children or the spouses or you just kind of, you know, do it almost the way they did with Charles in every one, which is Charles turned out this way and yes. doesn't want to do it, you know, and you just kind of like Charles is dead and, and, and he's alive in real life. But purposes, for yeah. all intents and purposes, he's dead for this story. And after doesn't pretend that he never existed, yeah. and it's not this thing. He's just I've seen now because th- he stopped after 21. I've seen 28, 35, 42. Yeah. Use the same fucking stills yeah. and the same story. And they're just like, this is where Charles is. And yeah. that's the deal. But you know, I just want to talk about Charles for a second since we're on him. It's so interesting because he is one of that trio of upper mm-hmm. class yes, guys. Is. And by 21, he is dressing differently. 
you know, they're on the couch in their tweed jackets with their yeah. ties and their vests, and he's got a slouchy shirt on, and his hair is lo- in like a long shag. Like, you know, it's just so obvious that he is leaving the reservation. Well, it's, yeah, he, like, he's, he's definitely the anti-establishmentarian of the, yes. well, the three of yeah. for sure. I guess. You know what he wanted to do. Yes, yes. Yeah, he becomes a documentarian. He becomes a documentarian. <laughs> but it just, it feels it's like, like he, looks, he, it's like he looks at Apton and he goes, I want your job. Yes, yes. But it's, but it's, I, you can tell he's the arty one, I guess is what I'm getting at. Like yeah. You can tell that he's the one that's kind of outside the, the, yeah. the regimented yeah. box. But, like, but he, he's Peter, also the only one who doesn't lie and says he reads the financial times. Right, <laughs> right. Little but Peter, liars. you know, Peter who goes away for a long stretch actually yeah, does come Peter back. Peter goes back, I know. Yeah, to promote his music. Yeah. So I, I, I always am fascinated by that or just fascinated. Like I'm kind of in love with that little Wikipedia, you know, uh, that little Wikipedia. Um, oh, the Excel checks. Yeah. Of the X's and of checks, who, of, checks of who comes yes. and who doesn't. It's yeah, so sure. fun. Like, and, uh, you know, what's weird is like I'm 99 percent sure. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think they mentioned Simon in 35 up at all. Um, I think they actually ignore him, which is weird, but he comes back. I do want to give a little bit of context for the people. Oh yeah, that's right. There may be people who don't know what we're talking Um, about. So I don't, I don't want this to seem completely uh, insane to them. Uh, The up series of documentary films follows the lives of 10 males and four females in England, beginning in 1964 when they were seven years old. The first film was titled seven up with later films, adjusting the number to the, uh, in the title to match the age of the subjects at the time of filming. The documentary had nine episodes, one every seven years, thus spanning 56 years years. Uh, individual films in this series as a whole have received numerous accolades in 91. We mentioned this, the then latest installment, 28 Up, was chosen for Roger Ebert's list of the 10 greatest films of all time. The children were selected for the original program to represent the range of socioeconomic backgrounds in Britain at the time, with the expectation that each child's social class would determine their future. The first installment was made as a one-off edition directed by Canadian Paul uh, Almond uh, with the involvement of a quote-unquote fresh-faced yeah. researcher, a middle-class Cambridge student, Michael Abbott. Ted, whose role in the initial program included uh, trawling the nation's schools for 14 suitable subjects. Uh, after Alma's direction uh, of the original program, Abted continued the series with new installments every seven years filming material from those of the 14 who chose to participate. The aim of the continuing series is stated at the beginning of 7-Up as... Why did we bring these people together? Because we wanted a glimpse of England in the year 2000. The union leader and the business executive of the year 2000 are now seven years old. Abted is reported as saying, as you mentioned, Jeff, uh, I hope to do 84 up when I'll be 99. However, he passed away in 2021. 42 Up aired on BBC One on July 21st and 22nd, 1998, and opened on October 9th, 1999, the uh, Denver Film Festival. 42 Up has 89% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 94 from audiences. Lower than most, by the way. Most of these are 98, 99, yeah. 100. Like these are interesting. just beloved. Um, and I, yeah. I, I don't know why someone would give it a negative review except potentially burnout. I mean, but. Yeah, I, I, let me just quickly read this a little bit of Re- Ebert's review. Um, now here's 42 up, the sixth installment in the series. I've seen them all since 14 up, and every seven years, the series measures out my own life too. It is impossible to see the films without asking yourself the same questions, without remembering yourself as a child, as a teenager, and evaluating the progress of your life. I feel as if I know these subjects, and indeed, I do know them better than many of the people I work with every day, because I know what they dreamed of at seven, their hopes at 14, their problems they faced in their early 20s, and their marriages, their jobs, children, even their adulterers. 
Michael Outhead could not have predicted that his future would include a lifelong commitment to the series. He was a young man at the beginning of his career when he worked as a researcher on 7-Up, choosing the 14 subjects that would be followed. He became the director of 14-Up and has guided the series ever since, taking time off from a busy career as the director of feature films, Cool Miner's Daughter, Gorillas in the Mist. Crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, He's a a big director. He's like a a fucking real director. director. Yeah. Like, uh, in his introduction to a new book about the documentary series, Aptid says he does not envy his subjects. They do. There it is. Uh, as Jeff just showed, uh, they do get notoriety and it's the worst kind of fame without power or money. They're out on the street getting on with their lives and people stop them and say, aren't you that girl? Don't I know you? You're the one. And most of them hate that. Abted says that if he had the, he had the project to do it again, he would have chosen more middle-class subjects. His sample was weighted towards upper and working classes and more women. He had a reason though, for choosing high and low. The original question asked by the series was whether Britain's class system was eroding. The answer seems to be yes, but slowly. The series should be sealed in a time capsule it is one of it is on my list of one of the greatest films of all time and it is notable and it's notable use of the medium i mean it is it's pretty spectacular i I do i mean i love that review and i love the way he looks at the series i do take issue with his takeaway that it's eroding slowly my sense very my very strong sense was the haves keep the, the haves keep the haves keep yeah. keep what they've got and the have nots don't. Susie was the the upper class child. She married Rupert. Rupert's gamble paid off. They live in a fucking mansion. I mean, like <laughs> Rupert is not is not yeah. an exceptional exceptional guy. Seems like all, a nice guy though, but yeah, he seems like yeah, all right. What what changed Rupert? I love that. But go ahead, Jeff, counterpoint. Sorry. Yes, 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 and yet. <laughs> Neil grew up a child of privilege, right? He was one of those, you know, he you I mean, can he tumble. Relatively... I agree that you can tumble. Yeah. But also, you know, um, Nick grew up on a farm in Yorkshire and is teaching at the University of Wisconsin, teaching yeah. physics, vastly transcending his humble upbringing. So it's interesting to see who ascends and who falls. Look, we're only talking about two out of 14. He had to come. He had to come to America, Jeff. He had to come to the land of the free, the home of the brave. Exactly. But even that is a story about transcending. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true. true. No, there's no, you know, it's interesting. Go ahead. I do think the Neil thing, it's worth underlining, not that this is, I say this with no judgment whatsoever, but Neil does possibly seem to be, have some mental health issues to some degree or another. And I think that that, that obviously uh, affected. And he also very much seems to be a victim of, uh, of a quote unquote first world society that has no apparatus to help people like this. Yeah. And that's spoken about in the film that the social safety net was eroded under Thatcher. And that's how he found himself homeless. There were no programs to look after somebody like Neil. There were no work programs or housing programs to take care of somebody like that. So, again, it's a story about mental health. And yet it also remains a story about class and economic deprivation and the changing face of the society. So. You know, it's interesting, Kenny. We've covered a fair amount of a handful, anyway, of British films over the course of this miniseries. And, uh, you know, more times than not, I feel like a common theme, if you will, in a lot of British filmmaking, because a lot of it is funded by the government to some degree or another, tends to be about the social class issues mm-hmm. that exist within that that country. Um but I, I I don't think any of them touch this in terms of really getting a sense of because, I mean, obviously, fiction is one thing and documentary is another. But 
these these lives obviously feel so lived in you feel like you're actually getting a window into these people's souls into a window into their uh their hopes their dreams you mentioned earlier kenny before we were on mic about how um the the first handful of the series was perhaps i don't want to say more interesting but you were a little bit more engaged with it and that it got, it got a little repetitive in the middle well it's it's not all right so yeah so so i could talk about this a little bit yeah Seven Up is a straight documentary, right? Seven Up is is a is a straight black and white BBC thing. I think the I think it's only about forty five minutes, maybe fifty minutes. It's uh it's a fairly you know easy breezy watch and uh seven plus seven, which is what um seven plus seven up or something like yeah. that, which is what the second one was called. Uh, also doesn't feel like it's so much you know. Um, it also feels like kind of novel in its approach. By 21, they had figured out their formula, which is essentially we're going to go down the line with these people. We're going to show them some clip. We're going to show some clips from their past and then we're going to kind of, you know, contrast them with what where they are now. That's it. That's the formula for 21, 28, 35, 32, 42, even to the point where it's the same clips. For the most part, it's the same clips that they're using. So it, it, I watch the same order. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Uh, Yeah, it's the same order of. Oh, Tony's wow. o- Tony's always first, yeah, <laughs> and Neil always, is always last. Yeah, they're yeah. always there. Yeah, they're always they're always hitting it hard. So kind of amazing, quite honestly. It's yeah. uh, it's interesting in that way. In um, you know, these are, in my opinion, meant to be watched every seven years and not sure. meant to be watched right. every, you know, in a bingey kind of way <laughs> sure, sure. because you will feel like you know you're only getting half a movie. I watched, so I had watched the first four. I kind of binged them, and then Laura, my wife, and I were like. We kind of know what this is and we have had enough for now. I watched 35 a couple of days ago in anticipation of this, not really remembering that 35 and 42 are essentially the same film. And, um, you know, it's like for you, Phil, when I know you were only going to watch 42, uh, I very quickly was like, that's not a problem. Like, that's not a problem. (laughs) You just to watch 42, you will, you will land on your feet because Apted, I think, to his credit, understood the medium and understood that every seven years is going to be a new group of people who are ready to watch something like this and are not able to access the first six. It's it's also, it, you know, it's it's I was marveling at the editing of this just because I can only imagine the sheer amount of footage that they had and trying to figure out what makes the most sense and delineating all of that. But um, I didn't feel as though I was watching a previously on Right. Like I didn't feel that. But I imagine to your point, Kenny, if I did watch a bunch of them, I would feel as though I was getting the previously on, you know, 15 minutes of what have you in order to give you context, which I, you know, it is yeah. worked great for me, but would not work great. At, every movie. seven years, it wouldn't feel like that at all. You watch them back to back. It yeah. certainly does. But it, yeah. it's not it's not in a bad way. Like I want to like also say, like, it's not in a bad way. It feels like. You know, let's just like reorient you like you you got a lot to you know, you got a lot to keep in your head. You got 14 distinct lives to keep in your head right now. So we're going to orient you. We're going to remind you what these people were like, what they wanted. And it's always a there's always this wonderful reveal, this wonderful reveal of where they are at 42 or where they are, you know, at 35 or whatever it is. And, you know, usually with some of them, it's always funny because um, I think most who've gotten married are with their same spouses right and the correct except for simon some yes but simon Simon, 
I, but you never even met Simon's first wife, right? No, that's right. So you only met his second wife. You were only told about the first wife. Uh, I haven't really seen. And then there was, there's the other woman who has, uh, who has children with two different men, but you don't even, I've don't never even, met either of them. Cause I don't see either. of them. Well, the other think, one is this. The second one is in the documentary. He's not like sitting with her there, but he's hanging yeah, around. He's, yeah. We oh, see okay. him. I think that's Sue. She's the tallest of the trio. Yeah. Of women. No. Yeah. I think she had a kid with another guy. That was, that was not, that was Jack. Oh, okay. Sorry. My apologies. Okay. Jackie yeah, okay. had, had a relationship with the man got pregnant. Yeah. We so, didn't meet him, and then we didn't meet him. So you didn't meet asked. these yeah. people, but you, you know, I mean, they have like he knows what he's doing. They have this incredible reveal where she says, "I don't want everyone to have kids." The best, and then you have three the seven-year-old, and then you yeah, turn around. Kids. There's a five, and then there's a two. <laughs> like it's just great, and also you like know, this, he, yeah. he he talks about so I think this good. was in the commentary so that that reveal where she's serving oatmeal, mm-hmm. and then it's one kid, and the shot yeah. widens to two, and then three. That he used that again in Coal Miner's Daughter. He used the shot because he was so delighted that he had discovered that as a way of revealing a, how many kids that. this woman has. He's Pretty done a fantastic. really, really I do great feel job like, in that respect. I, like, yes. Yeah, oh, and then Sue. Yes. The thing to say about Sue is what a great voice. Yeah. And boy, do I love Superstar. Like, oh, yes. that's so good. <laughs> you know, the thing that I also found interesting as well is, I mean, the Brits are known as somewhat emotionally repressed people uh they're they're, they're not the most uh sort of they don't or, wear their heart or as we call them on this podcast the worst <laughs> correct <laughs> correct um and i did feel like you certainly sense that in some of these people right i mean like andrew in particular feels like just a an unhappy soul just a guy yeah. who's not in touch with his feelings at all um and then some of them you have where like neil is just they're unwieldy. His emotions are just, he doesn't know how to really wrap his arms around them. Um, But I did find that there was a real range of it. There's a fair amount of buried emotions going on to some degree or another. And there's a lot of like, especially when the couples are in shots together, there's an occasional like look from the husband over to the wife. (laughs) That can just, that, that, you know, a picture speaks a thousand words. Um, You know, Tony's adultery is felt. Oh my God. I mean, that's an amazing moment. It's funny it, when Ab- Apton calls it exciting. It's actually faintly it's sickening to watch brutal. it unfold as it's occurring. And this is not in 42, but in one of the previous episodes, Nick's wife, you know, the woman that Nick marries, you know, the uh, the English woman that he meets in Wisconsin and marries. Yes. She was so upset with her depiction that she dropped out of the show and forbade them from interviewing their son. Like she was so upset because you could see a couple dynamic between Nick and his wife that was incredibly unflattering on camera. Um, and so, you know, it seemed like she was riding him that she, you know, he married a Harridan and that she was somewhat abrasive and she just didn't like coming off that way. And she had no idea how she was coming off. I mean, the moment when Apted asks why Tony's wife took him back, Tony looks like he wants to leap over the table and just throw him. Yeah. But he goes I don't mean with to it. laugh, but it's fucking yeah. amazing. Yeah. But it also, yeah. this is another thing that I think is sort of underrated about these films. You know, we're talking about the craft of the filmmaker, mm-hmm. but he had to learn to be an interviewer. Remember, yeah. this yeah, is yeah. a guy, he spends 
you know, as you said, this is, he shoots, I think a couple of hours of interviews with them. And then he shoots them kind of in their environment, whether it's in their office or with their family on a job site or whatever. So he doesn't have a lot of time with them. So you have to be a very artful interviewer to elicit these kind of confessions for people. In addition, he talks about how in some of the early episodes, he thought he knew where a certain character's life was going. Like he was convinced Tony was going to, Turn to, to a jail. life of crime. Yeah. yeah. And so he started filming Tony like in these sort of <laughs> seamy parts of East London and hanging out with the bookies and the guys at the dog track. And he was totally wrong. And he learned his lesson from it not to try and be a forecaster and to deal with just what he saw and what was in front of him, which is hard because his storytelling, yeah. I mean, he's a storyteller. We want to presage we want to foreshadow it's the best though right it's it's what it's the best it's 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 so pure and you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's it's so it's such a pure form of filmmaking to just be a fly on the wall to yeah. do your best to be as objective as possible to step back um it's it to not know the end of the story it's why i like you know it's it's why i, I like tv writing True. um you know this idea of well, we can't possibly know. I mean, some shows do, but both shows don't know where the character is going to end up. Um, and that's kind of thrilling because then you do kind of have to live in the moment with your characters. And I totally agree. I, I think that it's interesting. Um, you know, Jeff, you talked about how he needs to, how Abtid had to learn how to be an interviewer. I, I think he also had, you know, the advantage of having made these films previously and knowing sure. these people really sure. well, right. To some degree. Um, but I also think that um, he doesn't know where it's going either, right? So he's, I mean, like there's there's an element of him being a viewer and and sort of trying to, I don't want to say he's nudging anything, but just also asking questions that he thinks the audience is going to want to know the answers to in the hopes of eliciting response. I mean, I think that, you know, what I thought was one of the depictions that I think is interesting, and I understand why he wished there were more women, and I, I would agree that oh, yeah. I, I do wish that the, there were more women. And people of color, you know. There's only- and people of color, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, the unfortunate reality is that um, the the female depiction doesn't necessarily have as much layers to it because it does feel as though these four women to some degree or another are somewhat similar to each other. Well, it'd be nice if he didn't interview all three together every time. Like right. That, yes. Exactly. That, that's well, the, that's the only thing I would pull back. I would have, I would, yeah, have, I would yeah. have changed because he, I, I yeah. yeah. And he also brings these prejudices, which he's talked very openly about mm-hmm. to even to the interviews. You know, there's a point, I don't think there's much of it in 42, but it's, there's a yeah. point where Jackie pushes yeah. back at him for like, why? How dare you ask me if I had enough experience before yeah. I got married? Would you have asked one of the men that? And the truth is, he's an you know he's an older man as yeah. he's doing this, and the older yeah. he gets, the more sort of hidebound his prejudices become, and he can't help but see a woman's value in terms of her ability to be a wife and a mother. He doesn't sure. talk to them about careers very much, you know. And no, it's better brother, or worse, that's really yeah. It's motherhood, family. Yeah. Have you met a nice guy? How's your kid doing? It's not so much about drive and ambition, but at and least he, he kept him. it all in, you know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, he, I, I, yeah. To some extent, nice there is a, there, there is a reading of these. And I, I, again, not the most interesting reading of these, but there is a reading of these that there is, if there is a representation of, you know, kind of society's glare, it's apt dead in his camera. Right. Sure, of, right. Of, you know, and the society's expectations for these people and even sure. a villain, it's apt in his camera. So I, I do think that, 
I, I do think that there is that kind of, you know, way to look at these if you want to. Um, not me. You know, I also did. I also never wanted the fucking office to include the documentarians in the show. So it's they're just one of these things. You know, like, I know there's a documentary being make, made, but it doesn't have to be part of the show. Like, so, you know. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think that, you know, it is. It's interesting to just talking about Apta for a quick second here. I mean, he, he made a, a lot of movies, um, some of them better than others. Um, but, you know, the, the movies that certainly the ones that I remember, Coal Miner's Daughter, um, Girls in the Mist. We talked about Thunderheart, Blink, uh, World's Not Enough, Enigma. He did Enough with Jennifer Lopez. Like he so know, weird. He, he finished Chasing Mavericks. The Up for, series. Um, what are you doing with Enough? Yeah. <laughs> He finished uh, chasing Mavericks for uh, Curtis Hansen after he passed away um, or, or was having heart he was, trouble. Uh, or something. DGA president, I believe. He was, yeah, I mean, the, yeah. he was he. Yeah, it's he did now. Uh, he had, yeah. you know, it's 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 an amazing career in and of itself. And then on top of it, to do this ongoing documentary series every seven years, is just unbelievable to think about. I, I you know, I. Looking at the individual stories uh, or the individual sort of portions of it, um, Simon's got a lot of kids. Yeah. Uh, lot, a lot of kids. His relationship with his parents seems fraught, to say the least. Um, I, I thought it's interesting that he left and then returned. So he was not in 38 or 35. 30, yeah. Um his first wife didn't like the project. So he stayed out of that installment. And then I guess he got divorced and then he decided to be in the next one. Um, Bruce seems interesting. I thought he was gay. I was really pulling <laughs> yeah, for Bruce I mean, to be gay. And, and again, Michael Apted talks about this on the commentary track for, I think for, I think for 42, he hmm. said he sensed, as Bruce got older and never seemed to be in relationships. And he even asks young Bruce this and Bruce says, it'll come, you know, but he wondered if there was going to be an awkward conversation coming in 35 or 42, when he would have to ask Bruce about his sexuality. And then Neil is pretty, Neil's pretty forthright with it. He's like, I'm not gay. Yeah. When he's asked about his relationship. Yeah. um, Which I think is interesting. Yeah. Eventually does get married. Right. But yeah, anyway. but yeah, but it's interesting. In, yeah. yeah, but it, it's interesting. Out of fourteen people, we have no, you know, yeah. it's all hetero. At least it is, a, they they at present least, as hetero. It is as that way. deeply yeah. interesting. It is <laughs> yeah. deeply yeah. interesting. You know, the famously the, the first like reality series was an American Family on PBS, right? Sure. Yeah. And the main storyline was one of the sons of that show uh, either had come out or came out during the process of during that the show. show yeah. It's the Loud family. They made the uh, they made the documentary. They made the, the yeah, show Cinema on Verite e- thing. Cinema Verite. Yeah. Exactly. They made the show on, ES- on, uh, ESPN, on HBO, HBO about it. And that was a shot in the dark. It wasn't like they were chosen because they thought it would be an interesting story to have this, you know, son who's coming out of the closet. That's just, just the way it is. And and to have 14 people and have none uh, identify as LGBT is kind of remarkable. Probably not the, the the case. You know, we probably can deduce one of these people at least is closeted. But, you know, it's not particularly the nicest thing in the world to say, I think this guy is or I think that guy is. So who knows what the what the deal is? But, yeah, I I, I 
think this is probably 64 is probably the last year where if you pulled 14 people out, you wouldn't have one identify yeah. yes. as queer in one way or another. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bruce is also like proposes on the sofa that she she almost like she said I would have missed it if I wasn't paying attention. Um, I mean, they're kind of adorable in a pretty kind of basic way, Penny and Bruce. Bruce is fun. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that Bruce doesn't like doesn't want to work in the sort of upper echelon of education. Right. Like he wants to work like with kids hands on and like in a classroom. Yeah, he goes to Bangladesh. Yeah. Like he it's of, pretty amazing. among the guys who were born with a certain amount of privilege, you know, he's yeah. the one who actually chooses to give back totally. more. I mean, I know that, you know, Bulgaria, all right, giving back to one's four years. Bulgaria, I guess that counts. But, like, uh-huh. Bruce chose to teach in inner city schools. That's what he wanted to do. Yeah, and no, I he think didn't. He's an admirable guy, you know? And I, the I way agree. he reaches out to Neil is extraordinary. Yeah, yeah it is. You know, we, you mentioned how, like, it's possible that the warmth and humanity in Bruce's soul, you know, that that the fact that he reached out to Neil at a time when Neil was troubled and their friendship has endured through many iterations of this might save Neil's life, you know? Absolutely. I, you know, it's interesting. I feel like... Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. One of the takeaways I had from this was also sort of the definition of ambition. Mm. And that it can be, I think that uh, we can see it in a very binary sense sometimes. You know, Kenny, you obviously referred to this earlier about fame. Um, you know, I think that, you know, fame or, or money seem to be the things that in a lot of ways we associate with the term ambition, yes. as opposed to something, uh, Bruce's ambition of helping and educating people or, or Nick's ambition of, of wanting to work within, you know, uh, with the physics and science and what, like those are unbelievably ambitious things to want from your life. And the bummer I think is that we associate it generally speaking with um, uh, selfish things, which is a bummer. Yeah. Well, I think Bruce and Nick in particular, and you, I think you single them out for a reason, have those kind of big chilly jobs in that, like you could put them in a movie like the big chill and then you can like, you, you get a lot about it and they're, they're, they're they're exciting enough on paper Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where, Maybe even a child would would aspire to them, right? Mm-hmm. 
and there, it's cool that there are people like that. It's very sure. cool. I'm very into it. I'm way more into like the guy who's a struggling bricklayer. I'm way more into the guy who's no, sure, a plastic sure. company. And and the right. dignity in that, like, I couldn't conceive of having like even like the the fucking I want to say guts, but even the creativity mm-hmm. to pitch a character who is a bricklayer and not marry that, not kind of tether it to, yeah. but wants more. Yeah, but he really wants to be an architect. Yes, yeah. but has these bigger dreams. Yeah. No, it's like this is this and, and, and or or the 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 converse. And I feel like we talked about this years ago when we were talking about um, what's the Kevin Bacon movie? Stir of Echoes. Stir of Echoes, which I think does blue collar quite does. well. It does. Uh, I, I or the converse of like, you know, is a bricklayer, but has dignity, yeah. you know, but, you know, but is happy. It's it's just it's there's no value judgment in this. Right. I I couldn't agree with you more. I will say one of my favorite things about this series is when they cut back to the kids footage of like what they want to be. Yeah. And I think it's Neil who says he wants to be an astronaut, astronaut. or a coach driver. Yeah. Or a coach yeah. driver. And then yeah. later he's like, I still want to be a coach driver. Yeah. And then like my favorite line maybe in the entire thing is when Paul as a child says, I don't want to get married because she might make me eat greens when I don't yes. like them. Seven-year-old yes. Paul is the world's the cutest human. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's the greatest the story thing about ever. the greens. <laughs> is, oh, yes. But kid. what if she makes me greens and I don't like yes. greens and then I have to eat them? It's like I dude. think Paul, I think Paul is, is everybody's favorite. Yeah. 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 Paul, you know, and that, also just like marriage is eating greens. Yes. <laughs> You know, the scene, it's at the end of the Tony segment where he's standing in his yard that he's helped build the backyard of this flat. And he's talking about simultaneously the sense of accomplishment that he feels that he has a beautiful family and look at this beautiful place. Mm. And he says his own really regret is that his parents aren't there with him to experience it with. That's so noble and beautiful. And You know, he achieved an ambition of sorts. He achieved a dream, you know, to have a yard like that is something little Tony never had something like that. His family didn't. He built that himself. He and his wife worked very hard as cabbies to make that possible. They had to be a two income family for a time, you know, and I mean, it's really quite remarkable. And it's not like pat on the head. Oh, nice working class boy. It's sincerely a beautiful accomplishment. Tony, Tony's Tony's like almost this is ridiculous almost too good of a character for this thing <laughs> like well, the he, arc is so good the arc yeah. is so good his, his the way he speaks his honesty his vulnerability his his marriage his like obsession with horses and you know again he's also his physical not to be yeah yeah, yeah. Like, that's a, part of it too right he's, like, a, he's, little, he's, he's a relatively a little, short he's person a pug of a man yeah. and also you king. know I, everybody everybody you know knows but being a, a a a london cab driver is not the same as being a yellow cab driver that is the, that is a job of gentlemen um that's why it was you know in i think 21 or whatever when he decided 28 when he decides that's what he's going to do a lot of it was like i'm going to show him that i could do this right Right. You right, know, right, like right, yep, the, yep. I want to show and his whole thing is, you know, there's I might be in 35 where apt it's like, well, you haven't really succeeded at anything like you wanted to be an actor. You're not really yeah, that. you wanted to be a jockey. You're it. not really yeah. like you want to you want to be a jockey. Not really. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. Tony's like, wait, 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 wait. I want to be a jockey. I was a jockey. 
I wanted to be an actor. You could see me on screen. Like, I know <laughs> that I'm not fucking, you know, Willie Shoemaker or fucking Lawrence Olivier. But, but I like, fucking did it. I did yeah. it. You know? <laughs> and that's his right. whole thing. His whole he's thing so is like, right. yeah. Tony is like truly amazing and also like amazing in that, like, you know, that, that 80s, 90s, Bill Clinton y sort of way where we were kind of able to divorce our feelings about the man and the crime. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the fact that he's, you know, adultery is not a crime, but you guys know what I mean. The fact that he's an adulterer uh, is interesting too. It's, it's a very, you know, it's a very male privilege kind of thing where he just is. And also he's a lazy husband. Like That's the other thing. Like, <laughs> like he's a bad father. He's a, he seems like a good father, but a bad house husband. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His fucking wife is doing the same job he is. And also is raising the family, yeah. but he's just, he's a deeply interesting guy. Yeah, we would hate in 2022. I totally agree. I think that, you know, one of the the I think that the Jackie Lynn Sue trio is interesting in so far as that they are different in their own ways. Like, I do think that the the Jackie first of all, so I guess it's Lynn and Jackie both get married at 19. Yes. Um, Jackie's marriage doesn't work. But then she gets pregnant yeah. and she has those kids. Uh-huh. Lynn starts off working in a mobile library. I love the idea of a mobile library. That is like the most British thing that's ever been. And I fucking adore it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then is surprisingly sort of unshaken by this brain disorder that she discovers. She's, she has. Ve- she, she's a very, very British person. Like very, <laughs> and I mean that like the good part. She's very yeah, stay yes. calm and carry on, you know, really or like, like stiff upper lip yeah. type person. And yeah. she goes in. She she I mean, she was talking about her job. She's like, I would never stop working. I love working. Sometimes yeah. I go straight home, straight to bed, yeah. work the next day. And you see her job like look, I do. I deal yeah. with four little kids every day, like working with these kids is fucking tough. So <laughs> there's something about job. the whole what you were saying, the, the keep calm and carry on thing where it's like she finds that she has this brain disorder and she's like, I'm still more like to get hit by a car if i walk across the street then then have this yeah. kill me now unfortunately she is the one that passes away if i'm not mistaken yes, and right. i don't believe it is actually from this brain disorder i believe she gets sick from something else if i'm not mistaken i, uh, maybe, I, I, I couldn't I'm find wrong. exactly what it was but yeah. I, I it said brief illness um, yeah. somewhere yeah. so um and then you've got sue who's this like life of the party confident she just seems awesome. She seems like she's a great mom, but she still wants to like have a life and be able to go out and have fun. She sings karaoke. I just, I don't know. There's, there's something like the three of them being friends makes absolute sense. And you see sort of these pockets, at least I did. You guys obviously have more exposure to this than I do, but like seeing the three of them and that clear sort of like, you know, chemical equation of the three of them just like bouncing off of each other. And yet how their lives go in such different directions is you know, obviously part of the beauty of this, this documentary series, but yeah, I mean, I, there's a, a couple of the things that kind of jumped out at me. I thought that uh, Paul's love of facial hair uh, really, really jumped out at me. That guy, Paul, that guy is amazing. Paul, Paul, in my opinion, yes, is the only one who really grew up to be a good looking guy. Like Paul, sure, sure, really, sure, sure. Paul. I mean, you know, people, people are just people. You know, they're mm-hmm. all like people. They're all people in the world. But Paul really grew up handsome. You know, yeah. like, like he, like great. Just that, that yeah. to me, that's almost his thing. And his wife is like, 
yeah. which like, well, the one that asked her why she likes him. She goes, uh, he's so like, basically she would say this, like he's so weak. He's such a loser. I love holding him, but he's also really hot in his shorts. Yeah. yeah. She's like, a little bum in those shorts. Yeah. I but he is love, he's so good yeah. looking. I think he's such yeah. a such a good looking guy, particularly in his mustache phase. Oh, yes. in the 70s, I, that guy's rocking some great yeah. shit. Yeah. I also love hearing his Australian accent come on. Yeah, you know, when yeah. He, when he's, you know, when he's seven and 14, he still sounds like a British kid. But yeah. then by the time he's been in Australia for a while, you know, you start yeah, to yeah, hear yeah. just yeah. an entirely different voice come out of him. It's true. For sure. The, the John Andrew Charles trifecta, two of which basically aren't in this film. Yes. Um, Charles is off making documentaries. Um, I guess uh, John was never in them or was, or, or when did John tap out? John Later than Charles at 20, John taps out at 28. Then he's okay. back in at 35 yeah, comes, and then drops out for this one, 42. But then he comes, Does he come back, back. later. But then he comes back. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And he's okay. back for all the rest of them. The only one who really is out and out is Charles. It's like Charles. they're all, That's some, right. some go well, out and come back. Yeah. In. Peter took a long break and we're yes, not even talking about Peter because yeah, I think I by I the time of 42, <laughs> yeah, Peter is, uh, you know, another middle-class kid. He's roughly of Neil's, you know, class. And he drops out for a really long time and only comes back in 56. Can't so wait. that's why you don't hear, you don't see Peter at all in this one, except for a brief shot of him riding his bike with Neil sure. when he's little. Okay. Um, so yeah, he doesn't really feature in this. And I think by this point, Apted was pretty sure he would never participate again. But then, as mm-hmm. I said, he drops in the, to talk about his folk singing. We, we, <laughs> we talked a little bit about Andrew earlier, but just to unpack him a little bit more, he just seems the most sort of rigidly deciding what early on in his life, what it's going to be the most repressed of all of them. Yeah. Uh, his wife seems nice, but then gets kind of chilly as it sort of progresses. Um, but yeah, there's just something about him that's just very off-putting. He just, even at the end when he's just like, I wouldn't want my children exposed to something like this. Like, I think this documentary just really kind of gets under his skin. He Maybe truly hates hates it yeah (laughs) yeah i I do think part of it though is i think for these three guys for andrew charles and john Mm -hmm. i think they are aware even in the by the time that they're teenagers and 21 years they are aware that this series has an agenda i mean it has a very specific political agenda that is about class and privilege and they know that they are being held up as a contrast to yeah. these other kids and they that they are the totemic representations of a society right. in which privilege begets privilege and who wants to be that i mean even if it's true in andrew's case you do not want to be the poster child for privilege begets privilege and, and so i understand kind of being you're right you're right jeff and he and it's interesting two of those guys are the guys that don't really stick around that much um but they even one of them even says it when they're 14 which is essentially like we're not like, like, I know you want us to be a contrast, but we're not just like regular boring guys. Right. I, I don't remember exactly what he says, but it's essentially that it's like, why did you pick us? Like, we're not just like your everyday guys. Yeah. And I think that that is. Yeah, Jeff, I, I hadn't I hadn't thought about it from from that perspective. But yeah, who wants to be held up as the. Uh, yeah. The bring Brit. John makes a point, as a matter of fact, in 56 
to talk about how different he feels because his family is Bulgarian. Now, to look at John, I never would have guessed that he was the scion of an immigrant family, but he is really trying to make a point like, don't judge me based on my tweed jacket and my tie and my, you know, my job as a barrister. Like, I'm different, you know? He really wants to be seen as an individual and not just like, you know, a class totem. No, for sure. You know, the... So as you mentioned, the last person is Neil. And Neil is fascinating, I thought, in terms of, I mean, heartbreaking at first, just because I didn't know, obviously, the backstory and the various sort of check-ins with him as he sort of was very much struggling to kind of keep his head above water. Um, he was homeless. He was dealing with all. And, and then to see him um, turn that around and 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 find purpose in politics and yes. in trying to sort of, which... I found really interesting. I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, politics by and large is not something that anybody really looks to for, for much hope, certainly not nowadays, but it's interesting that that, that became the vehicle for him. Well, local politics. Local, you know, yeah, I mean, exactly. He was, you know, I've been to Hackney a, a bunch and that's a place mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, that's a place that needs, you know, there's your city council to wake up uh, and be aware of what's going on at all times. So, yeah. yeah. I appreciated just him knocking on doors and like really just trying to help people not getting paid, still living off the off the still living on public assistance. See, that's, again, such an interesting difference between British society and American society. It is very hard to imagine someone working in politics in America, but still living on public assistance. And Neil has been. Yeah. You couldn't it's not, even, it's not, it's yeah. not possible. Yeah. And so the fact that this guy is, like you said, knocking doors, trying to make his neighborhood better, trying to yeah. connect with people in the neighborhood, giving speeches, like getting yeah. dressed up and giving yeah. a speech, but still having to collect, you know, a uh, public assistance paycheck every yeah. couple of weeks. It's, it's really a good something. thing. It's a good thing. It, it, it is a good thing. It, that's why, that's why I think more, you know, questionably employed writers should be uh, involved in the leadership of the guild. People from every fucking every every you know level of of society or every level of the guild should be involved in the decision making. Yeah, I mean it's 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 speaking to sort of the the chasm that exists between British politics and American politics in a lot of ways, and just sort of the the um, it, it is kind of interesting because yes, this documentary's thesis statement is about the haves and have nots, right? And yet at the same time, if you compare Britain to here just not even there's not even really much of a question right like you're much better off being a quote-unquote have not in the uk than you are here um so you know it it would be interesting i know you mentioned kenny that uh that julian farino has done an american version of this to some degree no no it's not american it's it's not oh it's it's british okay yeah julian's a brit it's just um it's just new or I because I I do wish that and obviously this is impossible now, but it would have been fascinating to have this an American version of this that that showed that sort of spectrum, right? To see what sixty four to you know present day would look like in the American you know system, if you will, versus the British system. Um, I think that would have been a fascinating thing to, to yeah, do. Sure. You, you know what? I think he's only no. They they've done. Yeah, there are. He, yeah, yeah, they've done they've done they've done up to 28, the new version. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So and that was in 2021. So I'm sure those are great, too. Like this is in a lot of ways. This is a lot. Let's see how many people it looks like only five. OK, but in a lot of ways, this is a bulletproof um, 
Oh, no, no, no. It's 19 people. It's 19 people. Mm. It looks like from all different races and and, uh, and backgrounds and whatever. And it's a bulletproof kind of concept, I think. If you're, you know, and I, Julian's a pro and I, I'm sure these are excellent. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have to say, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier. It's worth talking about, again, for what it's worth. You know, the, the link later um, lift, if you will, of some of this, I think is... First of all, it speaks to what you're saying, Kenny, which is it's pretty bulletproof, right? If you if you can find a way to execute it, uh, even if you're doing it on a fictional level, um, the idea of checking in uh, on a lifetime or a relationship over the course of many years um, is just great. Now, whether or not that's going to work for his adaptation of Stephen Sondheim's "Merrily We Roll Along" is anyone's guess. Yeah. Um, that it it will undoubtedly. Be interesting. Now, it will will be it, interesting. Will it work? Who knows? And yes. the casting is wild. But um, <laughs> yeah, the casting is it wild. Be, if it works, it'll be really amazing. So I I agree. And listen, I'm I'm. I mean, I mean, not if it works. It will be it, it will be amazing if he finishes amazing. before he dies. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's going to be fascinating. But I do think you know. Jeff and I texted a little bit about boyhood. Jeff has his issues with some of boyhood uh, spoiler. Um, But, uh, but I do think that the magic trick of it to some degree is, I mean, Kenny and I talked about this uh, a lot around the time of the, the Birdman boyhood narrative that happened at the Oscars. Um, And uh, we're not talking about fucking Birdman anymore. Are we? We never will. We never will. But we talk about boyhood because it was a special thing. And, and what he accomplished was truly kind of magical. Um, Whether or not there might've been, as I know, Jeff, you feel free to speak for yourself. Well, here's the thing. I I watched Boyhood again for the first time in a while in preparation mm-hmm. for talking oh. to you guys today. And I was totally bowled over by that film when I mm-hmm. saw it the first time. I mean, it is like 42 Up. It is an astonishing accomplishment. It is such a brilliant idea. And it ends so beautifully that you just walk out of the theater, you know, I mean, just walking on air you cannot believe how you've been transported like you've seen so many snapshots of life it's incredible watching it again i was struck and kenny it's so funny when you were speaking about it the early part of the film in my opinion is not very good because Mm -hmm. they are not really interrogating the inner life of this child they are showing the drama of the world in which this child lives okay he's got a mom who's got terrible taste in men she keeps tagging on to these drunks or these losers or these abusive husbands so forth. and that stuff to me is really not good sure. for like the first like 40 minutes of the film i just want to get inside that kid's head and once we do like right around the time the kid reaches early adolescence and we are following him to parties or we're following him out on bike rides, the thing takes off. And from that point forward, it is magnificent. And it also feels like from that point forward, Linklater as a filmmaker has decided to kind of meet this kid where he is, as opposed to trying to tell a story about him. That I feel strongly. Yes. Yeah. And By meeting the kid where he is, it becomes, this is what you were saying, Kenny, it becomes this beautiful kind of plotless portrait of a life. And that is what I appreciate. It's almost like he gave himself over to just riding the river of this kid's existence. And then, so that's what's so beautiful about the rest of it. Yes, I I absolutely agree with you. Um, 
I'll say this too. When, why am I drawing a blank on the kid's name? Uh, it doesn't matter. When, when, when he gets to an adolescence, that's when I think Linklater clicks in and locks in on him in a way that, cause that early stuff isn't really Linklater's back. And I say that with all due respect and love for him as a filmmaker, I do feel like once it becomes an adolescent story and a college story, and like, as we all know, you know, your days didn't confuse your what have you's, the, the, the pocket that Linklater exists yes. so strongly in is sort of that pocket. And then to some degree dealing with marriage and, you know, the Jesse and, and Celine relationship, obviously, but it's just interesting. Um, the the sort of I remember, and I'm sure you do too, Kenny. You know, boyhood was this almost mythical thing. It was a thing that he was just kind of doing. I remember. No one really got it. Um, no one really knew what it was. Um, they didn't know. It, I remember people were like, "Is it a documentary? Is it not?" He's checking in with this kid over years. We don't really know what this is. Um, and it was every how many years? I don't know. I how think many it years. was 14 years, right, or 12 years. Well, the whole it's thing, yeah. But when did he years, check in with it? He checked in with it like every. Is every like three, three, three or four years? Yeah. Isn't no, it? no, yeah, no, so no, no. It's one year. One, one year. year. Oh, okay. okay. It's all okay. one year. It's two weeks out of the. They shot for two weeks oh, every. Okay. That makes sense. One okay. every year. Yeah. Uh, whatever. For twelve they, years. Or whatever 12, they were. Years, yeah. yeah. For, I think it was twelve years. I think that's right. Um, and I do remember thinking that this thing was more art project than feature film yes exactly and exactly. even like and, and it was not I, I got the sense almost in a ken bernsey kind of way yes that it yes. wasn't going to be even exhibited the way a film is yep. that it's more going to be exhibited the way a ken burns film will be where it shows up on yep. pbs and it's this kind of thing that's like you know you're you're kind of like mesmerized that this thing existed but when this thing came out and became an awards player it almost immediately like clicked into my brain of well nothing could come close to this this is a lot a lot like the oj documentary did right when they when when the ezra whatever the guy's name is um I should know his name, but the ESPN uh, documentary series. Are we talking yeah. about the 10, the 10 hour documentary yeah. series yeah. when they decided to show it in the film and they made it eligible for, uh, for the Oscars. Yeah. It was like, well, if this is eligible, then like, yeah, no one else stands a chance because this is like, yeah. you know, an epic heroic thing where, you know, they, that, that you're, you're piddling two hour documentaries on this level. Yes. And that's how I feel about boyhood. We're like, yeah, Birdman, I understand you did some interesting things with a camera, but you're not on this level. Like the, yeah, there right. is nothing on this level, like ever. And I feel that way about the up series too, which is just like, yes. this is not a movie. This is not a feature film. This is not a series of television shows. This is an, an epic life experience art project that has succeeded and it almost is beyond awards. However, if you are going to give it awards, give it all of the awards. Well, it's, you know, I agree with what you're saying in terms of, I remember thinking, is this a documentary series? What is this in regards to boyhood? Especially since, you know, he's coming off of Waking Life and a scanner he's darkly. Fuck, he's fucking around a lot at this point. It's like, right? yes. You're just like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. So like, who the fuck knows? And then IFC Films, of all things, is the is the company that buys boyhood. You know, if this if this was if Boyhood came out today, I imagine it would be a focus or a, an A24 or someone like that. Man. My only the only I, I only just say this just in terms of like one of the reasons I think that it doesn't win Academy Awards is that if you're going up against Fox Searchlight at the time and your IFC films, you're you're not it's not going to happen. That's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I 
guess it's true, but it's not like this movie was underseen. You know, it's like it's I, true. my sense is, and I still don't understand how it happened. I do not understand how Birdman won. But my <laughs> sense is just like one of these movies has the goods, like the goods, the goods, right? Like like 12 Years of Slaves, like like kind of goods, you know, where it's just like one of those movies where you're just like, yep, of course. Whereas, you know, another one of these movies is fucking Birdman. And like we've seen long tracking shots. Come on. <laughs> well, it's it's we've seen long tracking shots. And I'll also say, too, you know, the, the, the most kind of disheartening moment for me during that that year was the DGA not giving it to Linklater. Because if you're a director and you yeah. know Who'd you what vote for it, Jeff. <laughs> I, I voted for Linklater. I vote because look, I may have some quibbles with the writing. As a DGA a, man yeah. over but here, yeah, as a directorial achievement. Oh my it's, god, it's unquestionable. You get close yeah. to it. It's, yeah. I think, and I, I mean, so happy we have a director to discuss this because my my <laughs> my sense is, and we talked about we talked about this a lot. Yeah, is I don't think I think people sometimes look at directing as more. Uh, more skill than art, more, more trade, more, more. Um, so what I'm looking for, like, like, uh, uh, Jeff, help me. It's, it's <laughs> more like the, 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 the heavy work of it. The, the, right, right, right. Like craft. You're talking about craft. Like craft. craft is the word I'm looking for. Yes. yes. <laughs> like that. It's a craft which yeah. it is, but yeah. whatever. It is a more craft, but there is so much craft in a movie like uh, in all the in all the in your regions, right? For instance, right? There's so much craft in what he does and so much how did he do it and so much look at what he built and yeah. so much look at where he shot and all of this shit that in your and, uh, you know, I mean, Coron to less extent, but really in your it's a lot of like, wow, that took a lot of work, yeah. you know? Whereas like boyhood, of course, it took a lot of work, but this stuff is ultimately about telling a story, right? It's ultimately about, you know, about about doing what is necessary for the narrative. And that's why it's cool when to me, a movie like a like a Nomadland wins best director because Nomadland is an incredible feat, but it's not an incredible technical feat. Yep. You know, it's an incredible right. feat of 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 marrying your directorial vision to the story you're telling. Well, right. I right. I would I agree with you, and I would also say too, Kenny, that you know, the not to say that that both of these versions of directing aren't special, but when there's a harmony of both of those things, and when you feel the craft and the scope and the you know all that mixed with great storytelling, you have Avatar. I mean, that's just, that's <laughs> Sure. You have Avatar. Um, but I but I I mean, for instance, some something like Power of the Dog, where I think that that is a marriage of all those things. There's just a part of me that was like, I saw Birdman. It was fine. Whatever. We're talking about boyhood and something that and this might sound hyperbolic, but like transcends the art form. Right. Like it's something that goes past what we and it's the same with 42 up right where it's like we are seeing the human experience rendered in a way that nothing else has ever done so yeah i mean listen uh it birdman's well shot i thought all the lights were pretty and the long takes were impressive but like how are we even comparing these two things that, yes. that so the dga thing was that was the thing for me that just meant like really you fucking guys fell hook you know hook line and sinker for the like yeah 
jazz I, hands. I say well, it's funny you say jazz hands because I have said it on this <laughs> podcast before and other podcasts before that the original special effect is dance. Um, but the real original special effect is time. Yes. Right. It has always been there for us to use. And so few people do it because we don't have patience. Money people don't have patience. Creative people don't have patience. Studios don't have patience. Nobody has the patience to give someone 12 years or 63 <laughs> years to see their artistic yes. vision out, you know? And I think that that's what's so kind of beautiful and thrilling for me is this, this was here for the taking. Well, you, know, you know, all you had to do is have all you had to do is have the patience. This this idea was always here for the taking for the beginning of fucking time. Boyhood was always yeah. here for the taking for the beginning of time. And nobody just no. I don't, it's a weird thing to say. It's not possible because I don't have the patience for this. Right. No. Well, it's you know, it's funny, Kenny. I, I mean, I'm sure you're listening to the blank check Kubrick series that they're doing right yep. now. And it is that's that's one of the things about Kubrick that is so special. It's one of the things about him that drives people mental. It's why we all wish we had more Stanley Kubrick movies, but it's what you're talking about. The patience and the ability and the, quite frankly, the luxury to be able yeah. to say, I'm going to do this thing at my fucking pace and what comes out on the other side of it's going to be brilliant. And you're going to be thrilled that you did it. And unfortunately, this industry just has none of that. Yes. Anymore. Like I can't think of anyone who takes a long, I mean, I, even the, the titans of industry, even the directors who can do whatever they want, take two years between projects, if that. I mean, it's it's so anyway. Well, I mean, um, I, I just mean in terms of, you know, I know literal I know. screen the actual, time, I like, I, actual production, like the yeah. the the <laughs> the horrors of aging is sure. really, sure. it's like is something yeah. that you that, that there is a way to Can't show fake without. It. Well, there is a way to show it without makeup. You just yeah. have to fucking wait. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's rate this because I oh want gosh. to hear. Okay. I want to hear Jeff's top 10 films of 1999 after that. So, yeah, okay. so do I. As Can't do wait. all of our listeners. So uh, I didn't see uh, 42 up in 99, as, as I'm sure we've deduced at this point. Um, before this podcast, I had it at an 88. After this podcast, I'm at a 92. Like, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a, unbelievable thing i i actually do want to watch the subsequent films um just because, take your time be patient yeah i don't want to i don't want to binge them as you mentioned kenny but also just like i'm invested now right like i i i can only imagine what it was like seeing these quote-unquote in real time right and and wondering like what are these people up to um and checking in on them so i, I mean it's, it's a beautiful thing um i thought it was incredible what, what about you, Kenny? Where, where are you at on this? I, you know, it's, I'd never seen this, this uh, installment before. Um, okay. So I will rate it uh, the normal way you do when you never seen an installment before, which sure, is to sure. say I was at a 93 before this podcast. I'm, mm -hmm. I, I'm finding myself to be incredibly passionate about this film. And uh, as passionate as I think I've been on this podcast, um, I'm tempted to rate the whole series, which is, I think, basically, you know, every subsequent episode or installment of this documentary is really the, all the whole series wrapped into one, essentially. So I think I can do that. And I think I'm going to rate this whole series uh, at a 99. Um, I just think this I think that's where this this is supposed to land. Uh, and I do think it is like just one of the best films you'll ever see. It's I mean, it's and, and truth be told, I know that like, you know, there are people out there that'll be like, are these films, is this television, whatever. First of all, 
don't give a shit. Second of all, I, as I said earlier, I think it transcends both of those medium anyway. Like yeah, I, I just, you know, what? It, in America, these are theatric, in America, these are theatrical releases and they were reviewed on Siskel yeah, and no, Ebert. No, no, und- undoubtedly. Yeah. But yes, yes. It's just, to me, it's like, as, as we said, you know, moments ago, I don't, I don't think that this even fits into the categories of, of what we even think of, of the filmmaking medium. It's right. Really like one of the weirdest things, not to go to completely off topic, but was yeah. when people started to include the third season of Twin Peaks Twin on their Peaks best films of the year yeah. thing. It's just like, it's yeah. not much. It's not a movie, obviously. It's not really a TV show either. Like it is kind of like its own thing, and it is kind of a weird thing to even put it in these like lists. So that was that was the thing that that's I was how I kind of feel yeah. about this too. Totally that's why, right. and you know what? Then that's why I never include Schindler's List in my Spielberg rankings. It's just like it's a different thing. It's just okay. it. Well, okay. you know this. I, I said it on our Always episode that like it's <laughs> just it just doesn't feel like a film as much as it feels like one of our, you know, foundational you know, artistic totally. documents totally. Um, and to put it on the same list as Jurassic Park and Jaws seems weird to me. But. Jeff, let's hear it. Well, I mean, it's, it's, you guys have said it, so I won't, I won't repeat. This thing is bigger than a film. Yeah. It is. I mean, to talk about this as a film is to see the parts of it that are a documentary. In some ways, it's a superhero film. In some ways, it's a horror film about aging. It's a, it's got all of those things wrapped within it. But as a, as an artistic accomplishment, there's nothing like it. Um, and to sort of, you know, rewind to where we started this conversation, I saw the first my first encounter with the Up series was at a time when I had just moved to Los Angeles and was beginning my adult life, beginning my ambitions, starting to think of like whether I could have this career as a filmmaker. And I have grown up with this film series. So, and as I said, every engagement with it has been yet another glimpse into the future, but also yet another reunion with these extraordinary, yet ordinary people. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, when I saw 42, you know, having seen several prior installments, I would have rated that thing at a 95. Okay. Now at this point, having seen all of the, the entire series, including 63, which I know is not within the scope of this, I would put this in a 99 as well. I don't know how you can't put it as a 99. <laughs> this is an, to me, this is an unrepeatable experiment. Sure. And a treasured artistic document that you would put in the time capsule. You would. Of that's, most that's important works of the 20th yeah. century. Yeah. You know, it tells us as much about planet Earth, you know, as, I, I don't know, as any work of art ever made. It's you first know? in the time capsule. That's that's why I think it has to be a 99. It's for, I can't, at filmed shit, I can't think of anything m- uh, straight up it's this and it's schindler's list and those are the things that i'm making sure in the time capsule and then you know you feel free to put in top gun maverick if you want well, you know. <laughs> so jeff yes you seem very excited if people could see the look on jeff's face he's very excited to do his top 10 films of 99 okay i yeah i know i'll do this have you guys done you guys are waiting to do yours we're doing ours at the end 
we did so we did it at the beginning of the podcast and we do it we 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 reference those early lists regularly and we do yeah it's true and at the end of every year we do an updated list we update our our, our okay but only of the movies no no of everything of everything everything. of everything all right yeah i'm gonna roll this out these are not in order and i just want to preface this by saying my greatest fear is that Uh there is some extraordinary little movie you know, that. that I have forgotten to put on here, like some Vim Vendors film that is like, you know, that I, I missed out. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, no, no, he did. Yeah, he actually did. Oh, what did was he? His 99? Yeah, movie? it was uh, Buena Vista Social Club. Oh, oh that fuck, is a very good movie, which I did not put on this list. Uh, no. That movie, yeah, made no impact on me. But okay. yes, okay. <laughs> but yeah, he did. In, these are in no particular order. All right. Okay. Let's these hear are it. in the order that I found them. Okay. Are you ready? Here we go. We're ready. Galaxy Quest. Great movie. The Blair Witch Project. Sure. Magnolia. This is one. Last so night. Oh, oh, dude. Which, I, which, language which right I entirely owe to you guys. I never would have known of that. Film. Oh, really? 100%. Oh, that was not an amazing movie. Really? Is an incredible movie. Absolutely stunning movie, which I have recommended to so many people yeah. and referred them to your podcast and seeing. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank South you. Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. <laughs> This is a great list this is, so far. This is Kenny's. You are speaking Kenny's language. Well, uh, you certainly, you're certainly five for five. So <laughs> okay, forty-two up. Great call. Three Kings. Okay. Now, okay. it's a flawed film, but a film I love. Toy Story Two. Great love film. It. Love it. Love it. The Limey. Yeah, we love the Limey. Great movie. Great. Movie. And by the way, the Limey, a cousin to Forty-two Up, right? Because they teleport in that. Yes. Yes. Right? Of parent stamp, right? Great and call. the only film that I know of that has ever done that, by the way. It, it, yeah. From another Soderbergh movie. Is, yeah. Talk yeah. about that. Uh, from yeah. another movie directed by a different director. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a character that, 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 yeah, is not the same character, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Like, well, I don't actually think it's. Yes. The answer is, yeah. you're right. Yes. Though yes. there are readings, I think, yes. where it is the yeah. same character, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and finally, yes. any given Sunday. Oh. <laughs> you just Kenny's wow. like a big wet kiss right you now. Know, you would. know that you know that that was of our first year. That was my number one. Film I know year. that. Yes. Yeah, I know. And I and I had seen it when it came out, and I was totally knocked out by it, particularly by Jamie Foxx. I think it yeah, is far great. and away his finest performance. He's and such an outlier. You know, I think you guys mentioned this. A black quarterback. Like this movie was made at a time where there weren't very many black quarterbacks. So no. like that character was an entire like sui generis kind of mm-hmm. you know, there was no Michael Vick at that point. There was, this was yeah. There was no you're right, because there were some, but they were in the Warren Moon mold or yes. Randall Cunningham mold. They were they were muted. They were, yeah. you know, they they were without question, you know, kind of meant to um, implored to, con- mm-hmm. to to kind of do their job and keep their mouth shut. Yeah, yeah. And it so, wasn't as far as quarterbacks go. Was there a Willie Beeman? I would say there. I mean, Willie, maybe not a real Willie Beeman. Not until like Cam Newton. I was just gonna say, you know, Willie Beeman invented Cam Newton. Just <laughs> like that a, character. Yeah. There were guys like that, like like outspoken, like look at me, like wearing bling guys playing different positions. Lawrence Taylor's in yeah. this movie. Yeah. But but a real quarterback who was just like, watch me. I can't think of one until not Cam. so much. I mean, and yeah. I mean, Vic. Yeah. But Vic, 
But even he was not a cowboy like that's what I'm getting at. He was he was like, I am very, very good at my job. I'm a technocrat. I'm really good at my play. But he never was like, you know, you had to watch him, but it was more of he would never go into the end zone and pretend to rip open his shirt like Superman. No, that wasn't something quarterbacks did. Yeah. Yeah. So like Aaron Rodgers actually did it before Cam with the uh, with the belt thing with the belt. Yeah. Which even that felt like, what are you doing? You're a quarterback. Yeah. But he's a white yes. guy. He got away with yeah. it. Cam. So, yeah. It really yeah. wasn't so, until Cam, probably. Yeah. So anyway, I had seen any given Sunday at the time, I think probably at the Writers Guild, went back and saw it again because of you guys. And I was like, that is a phenomenal film. So I it owe is. that one it's to you spectac- guys. Well. Spectacular. Spectacular. Crazy movie. movie. I mean, I, I, you've turned me around. You and I think uh, you have our uh, guest. You turned me around on that one. It was Andrew Lehman. Exactly. I think you had it. Yeah, I think you did have a bit of a come to uh, come to Willie Beeman moment with that. I one. did because I I mean, listen, I think that Oliver Stone is a lot right. And I, yes. I think that he's, uh, you know, hit or miss for sure. Um, and I'm just I'm as, as Kenny knows, like I'm not a, a huge sports guy. I don't know football all that well. I know well no. enough. Um, if, if there was a Canadian team and they were doing yes, well. The Montreal I know you would. I know yes. you would get on it. <laughs> then I get it because whenever the Blue Jays do well, all of a sudden you're the biggest yeah, Blue yeah, Jays sure. like, yeah. I am a fair weather fan if ever there was one. Uh, I really only care about playoff sports when it actually matters, as opposed to regular season where I'm just like I don't really care. But all that being said, uh, I really did come around on that movie. I am curious. There is there is one omission I would that I'm yeah. curious to to just to highlight because yeah, I'm curious as to your thing. thoughts on it. Because listen, you've got some hot takes, Jeff. I mean, you like to throw hot takes out. Uh, yes, in the you're a good. Words. You're a good hot taker. Um, you're a good. Okay. Do you Take have her. thoughts on being John Malkovich? Yeah, I like. Was... I like being John Malkovich. Okay. I like it. <laughs> I, I like that movie. I I thought it was incredibly fun and audacious when I saw it. I think, like a lot of writers. I think I'm roughly the same age as Charlie Kaufman. As a matter of fact, I think he was. I think you are. Yeah. Stacy, when I was doing Partners, we were like in the same one-hour time slot on Fox. I was extremely jealous of being John Malkovich when it came out because it seemed like such a singular writerly statement. I know it's a right. wonderfully directed film. Um, it has not stuck with me in the way that even Eternal Sunshine has, and I. It may be as a movie that I need to go back and revisit. It may be that the movies that are derivative of Malkovich have somehow left it in the shadows for me. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I think Phil this, and you know, oh, I think Phil and I felt the same way before we watched it and then re-remembered how brilliant yeah. and perfect it is. Yeah. yeah. I I'd be I curious that film. I yeah. would I would um we're obviously recording all these things out of order. We will be dropping our being John Malkovich episode in a few weeks uh, right. with Mark Harris and uh, fabulous. Adam I would I I would and not just to say like not to, you know, whatever. I do think it's a great episode, but I, I would be curious to hear if you w- watch the film again and listen to the episode. Whether I will. Not. Um, yeah. but, Joe, I want I want to do some quick thumbs up, thumbs down with you because you did leave a bunch off. Not that you have not that you, you know, yeah, yeah. I love your list. I think your list is fantastic, but I'm interested to see if there's a reason why you left some of these off. So we did Malkovich. I would throw out the matrix. The matrix is wonderful. I would throw out. Yeah. Maybe quick word association. Yeah. uh, Election. I don't believe was on that list. I don't like election. Okay. Sorry, Uh, guys. I saw. Wait, but can I ask a follow up on election? Yes, you may. Do you have thoughts on Alexander Payne as a filmmaker? I, I think he's extremely uneven. Uh, I am one of those people, 
I think this this movie gets trashed on this podcast routinely, but I, I happen to like Sideways quite a bit. Uh, I think it's trashed by film. me. I'm the only but, but <laughs> I'm the I, only I like one. Sideways. I'm the only one in the country yeah. who, who um, has the guts to yeah. trash it. <laughs> and but I will say that I think he is. I, I think is only the only other filmmaker who I think has so summarily jumped the tracks the way that Alexander Payne has to the, I think Alexander Payne's last several films have been utterly worthless. I mean, especially downsizing is a epic disaster. The only other filmmaker that is a similarly like notable case of arrested development. Okay. Get ready. Cause this is a hot take Spike Lee. (laughs) I see nothing but blank. (laughs) I don't, Oh, so when do you think that the Arrested Development happened, I guess, is the right after that... Do the Right Thing. <laughs> so you okay. think he's made more good movies? <laughs> I can't. I mean, I, I think, can't, uh, I I think, can't. I think she's got to have it is amazing. I think it's his best film. So, well, so Malcolm X. Yes, I think it's better than Malcolm X. <laughs> the hottest of hot takes. That is a Sorry. hot take. That is good, a hot good, take. Hey, good. Good for you. I All appreciate right, so, it. I so mean, Summer of Sam, please. thumbs down. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, Summer of Sam's not a great movie. But no, yeah. Summer of Sam's not my favorite. But look, I think <laughs> I think The Five Bloods is a top five spike. I rate. think it's really Oh, God. Too. I could not get through that. Yeah, movie. no, I really so, love it. Uh, I right. There are a couple others Sorry. that I'm curious to get a thumbs okay. up, thumbs down on. <laughs> just out of curiosity. <laughs> I, I, had, I, I had a couple no, more. No, no. But go ahead. Okay, okay. No, go I'll, ahead. I just, I only, I just have one that I wanted to throw out there. Talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah, that was on my, on my I've list. I've never seen Talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, I think you'd really like it. Yeah, it's a good movie. Very good movie. All right, I'll give you a couple more, and yeah, then, then, then we'll get you out of here with your yep. sanity. Uh, the Insider. I thought might make your I list. I liked The Insider. I okay. liked The Insider. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not. I mean, Soderbergh, right? Yep. No. Uh, I find, sorry, sorry, Michael. Oh, Mann, sorry, Michael Mann. Mann. I apologize, yeah. Michael Mann. That's right. Um, my recollection of The Insider was that it was, uh, I thought that as a procedural, it worked, but I was not as emotionally engaged with that film as I wanted sure. to be. Okay. Right. Uh, I have a couple more mm-hmm. as a comedy man. Uh, Office Space. Mm. I think I saw Office Space too late. I never okay. saw Office Space until a couple of years ago. And again, I think this is one of that with those films that would have been so bracing for me to see when it came out. But with some distance, it feels like a lot of people have danced that dance and sung that song, mm-hmm. you know, so that now you look at Office Space like in the shadow of all the other things that, in, that. that it influenced. You know what I mean? So I couldn't I couldn't quite like get as excited about Office Space as I might yeah. had I seen it That's in fair. 99. I'll give you the last one that I have. Yes. And maybe Phil has some. I, have one I, can't, more. I can't believe the one you haven't brought up yet, but keep going. Eyes wide shut. That's mm. the one. Okay, you have to know I am a huge Kubrick fan, and I'm talking mm-hmm. about the entire canon. Mm-hmm. I, the one that I had not seen, oddly enough, until just like a year ago was Barry Lyndon, which is amazing. Barry Lyndon is amazing. I have only seen Eyes Wide Shut twice. The uh-huh. first time I saw it, I was so hyped that the film could not help but disappoint, you know, and me the too. things about the film that in ninety nine. strange in 99. The mm-hmm. things about the film, I didn't like the like CGI shadows that they had to put in the adult scenes because otherwise they would have gotten an NC-17. That bothered me. The artifice of the fake New York that it takes place in, that bothered me. You know, so it was so freighted with the drama of high expectations that I don't think I kind of appraised it in a vacuum. I went back and watched it a couple of years later and I was like, solid film, 
not a knockout. You know that 2001 routinely trades places with Eclipse by Michelangelo Antonioni and all that jazz. Those are my three favorite films that are always in rotation. So I love Kubrick. I just think it's minor Kubrick. And so I can't quite get over on it. Now, again, this may be one that I need to revisit because I know you guys ride hard for Eyes Wide Shut. I mean, I've fallen for it. I would say that, like, I think we, I don't know if we went into this expecting to have fallen for it as hard as we have, but it's, I mean, I think I liked it more than you going in, Kenny. And then I think that I had only seen it in its entirely entirety in theaters in 99 with four camp friends on a camp day off mm. uh so you know and i was a little, little budding film nerd and i was like guys we're about to experience like film nirvana and right. at the end we're like nah, i don't know about that yeah but uh yeah, yeah, seeing it again as a, as a married adult i was floored <laughs> by it and then yeah. you know subsequently it was the first film we did i, I constantly am thinking about it so it's okay. i do i would I'd, I'd be curious to hear your your reevaluation of that i won that's a little bit of a what, but bringing out the dead. Never saw it. Be curious to hear that's your thoughts Lamette? on that. Uh, that's Scorsese. It's I swear to God, it's Scorsese doing Lamette. I I, I think that's a it really kind of it really interesting point. It it feels yeah. extremely Lumetti. I think that it's and we talked about this on the episode, but I'll just say it again for what it's worth, uh, in the hopes that maybe you'll watch it someday. Is uh, I think that when it came out, it got kind of tagged as. He's just doing Taxi Driver again. Mm. And it is not that. Um, it, it, like it's that. just because, it, you know, it was Schrader writing again. It was about a guy driving a vehicle at night through New York. Like, I think yeah. that there was just such superficial takes on it. Yeah. It's a really funny, weird. It's much wow. closer. I think it's a lot closer to well, a more after hours or something or after. Exactly. Well, it's a it's, much. It's, oh, well. it's, it's still got a lot of heavy things in it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like, it's a pretty wackadoo like the 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 performances from from ving rames and and uh tom sizemore and like when cage is really dialed up like it gets really crazy and funny and weird it's not after hours that's it's not like that's not the comp but like i mean i said it's Lumet. like there is Lumet in it the other guy who's like definitely is abel ferrera i mean sure, like sure, sure. okay it, like it feels like that like even though it's 99 it feels like that 80s new york sleaze a lot of the time um it's a great New York. Movie. Okay, bringing out <laughs> yeah. bringing out the dead, talent, Mister Ripley, and Eyes Wide Shut. I have to visit or revisit those three. Yeah, that's what yeah. you're saying. Give them me. a chance. All right, that's what I, but, but this do. was listen, Jeff. It's always a pleasure to have you. Yeah, on. Jeff. This was a bless. It's always a blessing to have you on. Um, I appreciate and thank you for pushing <laughs> as hard as you did. I genuinely say this from the bottom of my heart because I'll tell you. Before I pressed play the other day, I was like, what am I, what is this? Like, there's like a million hours of these British people. Like, why do I have to do this? And I pressed play. And in less than 10 minutes, I was like, fucking Jeff, man. Like, no, I, well, you texted he, me. And you're like, I can't yeah. believe we have to do this. And I'm like, just chill. Like, special. <laughs> you know? like, and then I pressed play. And I was like, God damn it. Kenny and Jeff are right. This thing's fucking miraculous. Like this is yeah. magic. And so I really do appreciate it. Listen, I, I was relentless for <laughs> years and I appreciate you putting up with that. I will also say, you know, this is my third time on your show. And each time I have had to go up against something that to me is in the pantheon, right? I did peanuts. I did peanuts. West wing. Take this yeah. Sabbath day. Yeah. I did my, for- well, I did my former employers, Will and yeah. Grace, which is fine. And then this, so this was mighty intimidating. Okay. 
I am glad that you guys are as knocked out and moved by this film as I am. I'm very happy, and I think it's entirely appropriate that this arrives toward the end of your 99 journey. Yeah, as, do I. as do I. I, I it actually works. I, I, I would agree. It's a nice yeah. um, it's a nice way to wrap it up. Yeah. But thank you for letting me be the guy to do this. I mean, oh because it's, it's a privilege to get <laughs> to speak of something. Well, we we've said is one of the most important works of art ever made. We so, had a, we had Acted lined up, but didn't work yeah, out. Exactly. So. Yeah. Uh, would have been great. Yeah, it would have been, been great. great. Uh, thank you so, so much, Jeff. An absolute pleasure as always. Thanks, you. Guys. All right. Take all care, right. Jeff. All right. Later, Kenny, guys. we need to do a thing on all that jazz. That's all I'm going to oh say. Oh, my God. I, I'll, do, I'll do it. I'll do anything. How about just watching it? I wrote a third of my college thesis on all that jazz. That's incredible. I would love that, to. You all also, right. um, I'm, I'm going to uh, give you Kenny's uh, phone number yeah, so please you do. can text him. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yes, and yes, you can, yes. You can yell I, at him about I want our in. But I want in on a, I want in on a, on a three way because I have a feeling yes. right. that you and I will be, will be uh, bullying Phil together, which is what oh, I love to do. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> all right. All right, guys. Y'all are awesome. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.